So if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Luke chapter 6, if you will. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And this morning, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to begin our annual study on stewardship, giving, and generosity. As again, I've said, February is for finances at Abilene. And what I want to do this morning at the very beginning of this message, at the very beginning of this series, is I want to take just a couple of moments, if you'll just indulge me, is I'm going to take a couple of moments and tell you why I feel that it is vitally important for a pastor to teach on the subject of stewardship, money, and giving at least once a year. And here's the reason why. Giving is at the heart of the Christian life. It just really is. Giving is at the heart of the Christian life. And if you've been at Abilene very long at all, you have heard me say this many, many, many times. You are never more like Jesus than when you give. John 3, 16, the best known, best loved verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you all want to be more like Jesus? Can I see your hands? You say, well, Pastor, I did till you said that I meant I had to give. And I'm just not sure anymore. Well, I get it. I understand. I know. I do know this. I told the other services. I know I'm very well aware that the most sensitive nerve in the entire human body runs right through the wallet. Did you know that? It's true. The most sensitive nerve in the entire human body goes right through the wallet, right through the the pocketbook. Uh, But listen, you are never going to grow. You're never going to mature. You're never going to develop in your personal Christian life by being greedy and miserly, by being a skinflint, refusing to give and be generous like some sort of Ebenezer Scrooge. I was thinking on the way in this morning that the happiest, the most joyful Christians that I know are tithers. I I don't know of any tither who is not joyful and happy. Now, I know a lot of people who claim to be Christians that don't give, and then they're just, I mean, they're mean as homemade sin. I mean, they're always upset and mad. Uh, But if I I, I posted this morning, if you really want to know where a person is in their walk with Jesus, just look at their calendar and their checkbook, and it's true. Let me tell you why that's so. Because like Jack Taylor used to say, money is the most readily tangible part of your personality. It's true. Did you know that the way that you relate to money is usually the way that you relate to life, to God, to church, to other self, and so on? Did you know that money is really coined personality? It's true. Did you know that you will never have any more victory, any more vitality in your Christian life than the victory that you have over money and greed? And so when I say that we're going to be talking about and studying what the Bible has to teach about stewardship and money and giving, don't get the idea that it's just about those things. It's not. There is so, this is so much more than just a sermon or a, or a series about money and material things, but those things are are indicators, they are thermometers, if you will, of how you're doing in the rest of your personal and spiritual life. And so that's why I'm so very excited to begin uh, sharing with you today a very practical series of studies based out of Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And I've entitled this series again, The Generous Life, Embracing Stewardship and Experiencing Abundance. To quote Jack Taylor again, the world's economy is on the way out. But there is a program of economy that is so stable that, in fact, a million years from today, it will still be stable. It isn't bothered in the slightest by spiraling inflation, dollar devaluation, or threatening economic collapse. It will not matter in that economy how, many, how high groceries become. By the way, are groceries high now? Eggs. 
eggs, nearly $10 a dozen. I heard the other day, $8, 9 a dozen. So I grew up raising chickens. I don't like chicken unless it's on the grill. Can I get an amen? Or deep fried. But I tell you what, with as, as expensive as eggs are getting, I'm just about to gonna go get some chicken so we can have some eggs. But it won't matter how high the groceries become or how expensive gas gets, it won't matter. And that economy isn't something that will begin when time ends and flows into the ocean of eternity, but rather it is a program that God wants everybody in on right now. And I believe that we are told about that divine enduring economy here in the context of relationships. And we'll talk about that more, even more next week in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Listen to what Jesus said. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So I believe that right here in this one little verse that there are some very powerful, practical principles that I'm just telling you are going to totally transform your life. They're going to revolutionize every area and aspect of your life. If you will just hang in there with me over the next three to four weeks, if, if you will grab a hold of these truths that I'm going to teach you, again, putting them into practice as we, as we learn them together, then this really has the opportunity. This could actually become one of the most important life-changing months of your entire life. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at faith and sacrifice and abundance. We're going to be learning how to give without seeing and, and going without knowing. How, not just how to give until it hurts, but how to, how to give until it feels good. And then we're going to really learn that truth that you can never really outgive God. But before we can do that, uh, before we can do all the deep, powerful stuff, we've got to start with the basic, practical stuff so that we're all on the same page together. And uh, so we've got to have the, the same starting point, if you will. And uh, we've got to make sure that we're not just using the same words, but that we're using the words out of the same dictionary in order for us to move forward together. Let me tell you why that's so important. Uh, we, for now over a decade, we've been a growing church. As a matter of fact, and Dr. Lancaster gave me some numbers uh, in between the service. In the past 10 and a half years, uh, we've had uh, 1,000, or last 10 and a half years, 1,551 total additions, including 739 baptisms. We've received 38 million, 38.25 million in order to give to missions and ministry. And uh, so what that simply means is, is that... Um, there are a lot of folks here from different backgrounds. And, and in the last year, even coming out of COVID, we got all kinds of new faces and families, and I absolutely love it. And we got folks from different parts of the country and different church backgrounds and different experiences and, uh, and different even levels of maturity in your Christian life. And so what I think we've got to do this morning is that we've got to make sure that we're all on the same level, all on the same ground, if you will. Because you may be here this morning and you've never even heard a message like this. You've never even heard anybody teach on stewardship and tithing and giving and, and those sorts of things. You have no idea what to expect this morning. You just know the preacher's about to preach on money and you don't like it already. Just hold on, okay. And then there are those of you that, and, and you've heard it, you're aware of it, but you don't really understand it. The why, the when, the how, the where, all those sorts of things. For others, you've heard it and you even understand it, but you've never really had enough faith to just step out and trust God with your finances. By the way, how crazy is that? To cr trust God, to say that you trust God with your eternal soul and not trust him with your money. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to go back to Malachi chapter 3. 
And I want to share with you this morning, very simply, straightforwardly, what I believe are the foundations for biblical stewardship. So turn back to Malachi chapter 3. Listen to what God spoke to the people of Malachi's day through the prophet. He said in Malachi 3, beginning of verse 7, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from our ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Can I just stop right there for just a second and, and just make this statement? That is a promise from the lips of the Lord, and it's just as valid today as it was in that day. It's just as valid as it was then. And if you're here this morning and you're a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, and you're trying to do it your own way, you know what you're going to find out? You know what you're going to discover? Your way doesn't work. Your way won't work in your marriage. Your way won't work in your finances. Your way is not going to work in your personal life. But I do want you to understand this morning, and you're not going to hear this from a lot of preachers, but God's not angry with you. God's not sitting up in heaven waiting to throw lightning bolts at you. All right? God is the same today as he was back in Malachi's day. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same today as he was in Hosea's day. Hosea 14 says this, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and, and, and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously. And God says there in verse 4, I will love them freely. And now you come to Malachi's day there's not going to be another voice from God for 400 long years. And the last thing that he talks about before, I mean, there's nothing from heaven, no word from God for 400 years. The last thing that he says, basically, return to me and I will return to you. But you said, in what way we return? Have we returned? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Can, can you imagine what he's saying? God's saying, you do what I've told you to do. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to rebuke the devourer. I'm going to take care of all your needs. And he says down there, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. The passage that I just read for you, most Bible scholars and theologians refer to as basically the foundational passage on biblical stewardship. This is the foundational passage on, on, on God's plan of economy that you're going to find in all of your Bible. Now, I know that a lot of folks, because I've been where you are, when I went to Malachi chapter 3, I know what some of you all were thinking, and I know what you're thinking. You were sitting out there this morning, and you were thinking to yourself, now, now, preacher, that's in the Old Testament. I know. I watched some of you all trying to fight it. You struggled like I did, Right? I mean, I've got a Ph.D. in theology, and when I look at Malachi this morning, is, is it to the left or to the right of Psalms? It's at the end of your Old Testament. And so I know that it's in the Old Testament, and so you're sitting there thinking, well, now, Pastor, we're in the New Testament. That's in the Old Testament. That's for Jews under the law. We are now Christians under grace. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to surprise you. You are absolutely right. You are absolutely correct. This was for the Jews, and this was under the law. 
But none of that exonerates or excuses us as New Testament Christians from doing less under the new covenant than they did under the old covenant. Dr. Rogers always put it this way. He said, for a Christian under grace to give less than a Jew under the law is a disgrace to grace. I'm going to say that again for those in the back. For a Jew under the law to give more, to give more than a Christian under grace is a disgrace to grace. You see, Jesus said that the Old Testament, here, here's what it is. The, the Old Testament, the law, was given to us to be a school teacher. It was to show us the starting point, the launching point, the foundation to build from, not a ceiling to stop you from going any higher. So let me give you this morning three real simple little truths. If you've been to Abilene very long at all, you have heard these umpteen times before. That's just West Tennessee for a bunch. And so you've heard these. You probably even have these written down in your Bible because, and here's why. These are the truths that my family lives by. These are the stewardship principles that we operate from. And they're found right here in Malachi chapter 3. Number one, realize your money is a gift from God. Realize, jot it down. Realize your money is a gift from God. Did you know that we live in a nation that is in financial bondage? Did you know that? I did some studying this past week. The current average debt of American households is somewhere around $100,000, and the current U.S. debt is $31 trillion. $31 trillion. With a T, not a B, not an M, with a T. $31 trillion. And whenever a person or a nation gets into financial bondage, it is always a sign, it is evidence that they've gotten away from God. So that's why God starts off by saying through his prophet Malachi, verse 7, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and you not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Pay attention. Look right here. I know I've got a face for radio ministry. Look right here. Whenever you get away from God, the point of return is the point of departure. You to get back, you go back through the door you walked out of. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying here. So Israel had gotten away from God. They were a backslidden nation. And so God said, tell you what, I'm going to make a deal with you. If you will return to me, I will return to you. But what happened? They acted like your two-year-old acts when you act, catch them doing something they know they're not supposed to do. You catch them doing something they're not supposed to do. What? Me? No, not me. How, how, have, how are we supposed to return? How, in what way shall we return? And here's where the shocker comes in. God doesn't talk about their morals. God doesn't talk about their manners. He doesn't even mention their methods. God cuts straight through all of that, and he points to their money. And here's what he says. I'll tell you how you've gotten away from me. You've robbed me. You've just robbed me. Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. So how are they robbing God? In tithe, by not tithing. Uh, why were they not tithing? Simple. They become slaves to money instead of becoming servants of God. And as a result, they've forgotten that everything belongs to God. Again, foundational verse for my life and my family. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all of his fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. The world belongs to God and everything on it, in it, under it, around it belongs to him too. That's what Psalm says. 
And so it doesn't matter how much you make or how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you've got stacks of money in, in your secret safe at home. It doesn't matter if you've got 12 zeros at the end of your bank account. It, it, it doesn't matter if you don't owe a dime on anything to anybody. If you're not a tither, you're in financial bondage. You're in a financial prison. You're a slave to money if you don't realize that everything you have, everything you hold, first came from God. And here's another principle. Either you will master your money or your money will master you. And so the key to financial freedom, what happens? It begins by changing your attitude towards money. (laughs) Boy, I don't know if this is getting too close and personal. It's kind of like the key to dieting is changing your attitude toward food. Hello? Is that a little too close? It's true, isn't it? The key to financial freedom begins by changing your attitude toward money. You say, okay, what should my attitude be toward my money, toward my house, toward my car, toward my clothes, toward my stuff, toward my savings, toward my material things? Just this. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. None of that stuff you just mentioned belongs to you. You've got to realize, you say, realize what? You've got to realize that your money belongs to God. Just jot that down somewhere. Your money belongs to God. And you're never going to have a right relationship with God and money until you realize that all of your money is really His money. And it may come as a surprise to you this morning, but I'm going to tell you something you probably have never heard another preacher say. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. You say, why doesn't he need my money? You're talking about it. (laughs) Because it already belongs to him. It's already his. Psalm 50 verse 12, God says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine in all of its fullness. God says, tell you what, if I was hungry, can you imagine God being hungry? So God says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't come and ask for the meat off your plate. If I were hungry, I'd come take the meat, the plate, the utensils, the, 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 the cups, the table. The, the, I'd take everything because it all belongs to me. I made it. It's mine. So that brings us to the $24,000 question. If God owns it all and it all belongs to him, then why should we tithe? Why should we give back 10% of what we have to God? And here's why. When we tithe, we acknowledge God's person and place in our life. When we tithe, we we acknowledge that he's awesome, he's amazing, he's unmatchable, he's the creator, controller, compassionate God of this universe. And also, when we tithe, we express our love and appreciation for all that he's done for us. That's really what tithing is. Tithing is a tangible, verifiable, in language that everybody can understand, way of telling God how much we love him, how much we appreciate him for all that he is and all that he's done for us. Your money belongs to God, number two. Your money is a blessing from God. Now, we're in, we're in Columbia County right here, and, and so we're in Georgia 
And there's probably a Bubba sitting out there this morning, at least one watching online somewhere, I guarantee you. And there's some Bubba, some man's man, some self-made man out there. There's some high-powered businesswoman sitting out there today or watching online. And I've been sitting here talking about the fact about how God, and you're sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I made my money. I worked hard. I got up early. I went to school. I worked three jobs going through school. I, 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 I work hard. I work from sun up to sun down. I, I do all this. It's, I, I do all of this. And here you are telling me that, that, listen to what I'm saying. Don't you realize that it was God who gave you that job? Don't you realize that it's God who gave you the ability and the intellect to get through school? Don't you realize that it's God who gets you up in the morning? Don't you realize that God is the one who puts lung, air in your lungs and, and gets your heart to beating? Don't you know? I mean, look, we just came through COVID. Don't you know that it's God who kept you healthy and, and is able, you're still here because of the goodness and the grace of God. As a matter of fact, can I just say this right here? Your employer doesn't even, you don't get your money from your employer. Your, your money comes through your employer from God. It's God who gives you what you have. I don't know about you, but I love to read the life of David. I love to study David. First Chronicles 29, David wanted to build a temple for God, and so he, he, they took up this great big love offering. And when they got through receiving all the offering, they had more money, way more money than they needed to build a, a house for God, a temple. And here's what blesses me. You don't have to turn there, just listen to it. But David, David gathered all the people together and he begins to praise and glorify God. And in that high royal prayer, he, he's rejoicing and praising God for the financial victory that they experienced. And here's what he said, 1 Chronicles 29, 14. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given to you. The little phrase there, of your own, literally means of your hand. And here's what David is saying. God, what we put in this, what we put in your hand on this side, we simply got from this hand over here. We were able to put here because you'd given it to us over here. And if you've been in Abilene for years and years and years, you have heard me pray something like this. I mean, umpteen, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, something like this. God, we acknowledge, God, we admit that everything we have first comes from you and we live from hand to mouth, from your hand to our mouth, right? Because that's what David is saying. David says, God, I know why these people gave all this money because they realize it's really your money. And so they really didn't give to you as much as they gave through you. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, for of him and through him and to him are all things. And James says in James 1, 17, every good gift, say good gift. good gift. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of light. And so when, when you put that offering envelope in the plate, when you put that bill in there, when you put the coin in there, when you went online and you went to the app or whatever, however you do that, and, and you sent that digital, when you went to your, told your bank to, to send it, think about this. Whatever you give to God first comes from God. Whatever you give to God first comes from God. That's why the very first lesson we have to learn, and it really all starts here, is that realize your money is a gift from God. Number two, return your money as a gift to God. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So let me be honest with you right here. You're, you're, you're new to Abilene today, and 
or maybe you're here today and you say, every time I come to this church, you preach about money. Really? Then I hadn't seen you in a year. <laughs> Welcome back. Because I preach on it in finance, February, that's about it. Whenever I use the word tithe, I feel like I, I need to dust the word off and clear the cobwebs off around it because we live in a society where nobody wants to talk about it, and even in churches today. It's a foreign concept. I shared in the early service, and John and I even texted back and forth uh, between services today. There was an article in 2016, Relevant Magazine, written by Mark Holmes, entitled, What Would Happen If the Church Tithed? I want you to listen to what he wrote. He sets the background and he says, tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. That ought to shame us. Can you believe it? Only 10 to 25% of people sitting out there this morning are tithers. Only 5% of the U.S. tithes, with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. Christians are giving at 2.5% per capita, while during the Great Depression, they were giving at a 3.3% rate. And then he asked this question in the title of his article, What Would Happen If the Church Tithed? And he writes, if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, of let's say, 10%, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and death from preventable diseases in five years. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than $1 per day. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission work. $100 to $110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion. Pay close attention. If you don't hear anything else in this entire series of studies, do not miss this. Because if you do, you're going to miss out on what God just doesn't want to just do in you, but what he wants to do through you. So whenever we come to Malachi chapter 3, people get mad. Oh, they'll write on Facebook and they'll, they'll just, oh, you get mad. Mad. Some of y'all are mad out there this morning. I told the other services, I can't remember if I've said it here yet. If not, I'm going to say it twice. My mama always said, you can get glad in the same pants you got mad in. Have I already said it in this service? Great. I want to make sure I got it in there. But Malachi chapter 3, if you don't get this, if you miss this, you're going to miss the whole thing. Malachi chapter 3, in spite of what you heard growing up, because some preacher didn't preach it right. Malachi chapter 3 is not God's remedy for robbery. It's his blueprint for blessing. Malachi chapter 3 is God's blueprint for blessing. God says to you, God says to me, if you will bring what already belongs to me, I'm going to take care of any and every other need that you have. So let's get down to brass tacks. For those of you that this is a foreign concept, you've never heard about this before, you're sitting here this morning, you've heard about it, never really have understood it. You're here this morning and you, you understand it. You, you used to tithe, something happened, the economy went bad, whatever. You, you pull back, you quit tithing. Remember this. You return through the door you left. The point of return is the point of departure. So what are the basics of biblical stewardship? What, what, what's the floor? What's the foundation What's the starting point? What's the launching point? 
It's right here in Malachi chapter 3. Just jot this down real quickly. We're going to come back and work through this next couple of weeks. But in Malachi 3, God tells us how much we are to give. He says in verse 10, bring all the tithes. Again, the word tithe is not some special word that nobody knows what it means. Everybody knows what it means. It means a tenth. It always has meant a tenth. It's 10% of your income. In other words, one dime out of every dollar, one dollar out of every ten, ten dollars out of every one hundred, one hundred dollars out of every thousand, and so on and so forth. And that's what a tithe is. Here's the beauty of it. A tithe is a tithe for a millionaire, just like a tithe is a tithe for some teenagers flipping burgers for $15 an hour. And by the way, they're still going to get your order wrong. Have you noticed that? <laughs> right? But a tithe is a tithe is a tithe, 10%. That's why so many people are missing it. You're missing out on God's blessing because you're robbing God. God blesses you with a job. God blesses you with the ability to work your job. God gives you health. God gives you the mental ability, all those sorts of things. And all of a sudden, you're making a living. You're bringing home $500 a week or $750 a week. Wow, $1,000 a week. You're bringing back all that. And so then you come in on Sunday morning and... You put $10 in the plate, or you put $20. And by the way, for some folks, that'd be, a, that'd be an increase. Uh, or you put in $40, and, and you say, well, I've tied. No, you've tipped. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, it, it, it kind of got close right there, didn't it? You hadn't tithe, you tipped. You tipped God. Because a tithe is always and only 10% of your income back to God. And so, again, this is the starting point. This is the floor, not the ceiling. This is the, not the maximum. It's the minimum. We're going to talk about that more in the weeks to come. Because as a Christian grows in grace, he will just normally and naturally grow in giving. And then where are we to give? Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? It's a room in the temple where they store tithes and offerings you say well we don't have a temple today duh say pastor so we don't have a temple today how does this apply to us here's how the local church in the new testament is what the temple was in the old testament you say well i just don't believe it i just don't believe in storehouse giving and tithing well then you don't believe the bible you say well i just don't believe it prove it to me thank you i guess i will Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, watch this. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up. Say storing up. storing up. Yeah, storing up as he may prosper. That little phrase there, storing up, it's a play on words. Storehouse, storing up. What Paul is doing here, he's drawing a very vivid picture. It is very familiar to the minds of these Jewish people, that he's, these Christians that he's talking about. And, and they understand that he's talking about the storehouse in the temple. And he's saying, just like you used to go on the Sabbath and, and you gave your tithe there in the temple, now you come on the first day of the week on Sunday and you give your tithe to your local church. Listen to your pastor this morning. If you remember this church, your tithe belongs to your church. If you remember somewhere else, your tithe belongs there. In other words, oh, they get mad right here. If you give your tithe to Samaritan's purse, you're not tithing. You give your purse to the YMCA, you're not tithing. You give your, you give your tithe to uh, American Cancer Society, you're not tithing. You give your tithe to Billy Graham or Greg Laurie or Beth Moore, you're not tithing. Now, look here. Those are great places and things to give to. 
And if God blesses you and encourages you and tells you to give an offering, you give that offering there. But your, our tithes as New Testament Christians belong to the church that teaches us, takes care of our family, ministers to us. Why are we to give? Look in verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Why? That there may be food in my house. Can, can I just say this? We've got to go. Can, can I just say that you ought to be thankful I'm not God? How many of y'all are thankful I'm not God? Raise your hand. Yeah, you ought to be thankful I'm not God. You know what? If I'd been God right about this time, you know what I'd have said? I'd have said something like this. You can't be saved if you don't tithe. You can't go to heaven if you don't tithe. But that ain't what he said. By the way, aren't you thankful I'm not God? <laughs> what God told these priests, these preachers, and today's from these pastors was this. Here's how you're going to receive and raise money for the church. Just ask the people to tithe. That's it. We're not going to raise money through bake sales, bazaars, and bingo. We're not going to raise money through car washes or clothes sales. We're not going to raise money through raffles and rummage sales. That's not the way we're going to do it. We're just going to remind people who gave them their income and ask them to tithe. That's it. I'm just going to make this statement. If you'll just hear it and heed it, we can get move, move forward. If the membership of this church would just tithe, we would never have any debt, nothing we needed to do that we couldn't do. I had one of our senior adults tell me that yesterday. He said, you know, preacher, if our people would tithe, we, there's nothing we couldn't do. We had no debt. And it's absolutely true. If, if the people in the church would just tithe, we would never have any debt. We would also have all the facilities, properties, and ministries and campuses that God wants us to have. Not only that, we could reach this state, the nation, and the entire world in ways that you and I can only dream of today if we would just tithe. Think about the families. Think about the people. Think about the churches. Think about the communities and nations that this one group of believers here on Abilene Baptist Church, this one group of believers could reach for the cause and the glory of Christ if we would just give what and where and why God tells us to give. Amen. So i got to finish. Re realize your money is a gift from God. Number two, return your money as a gift to God. Then lastly, rejoice in your money as a gift from God. You know why God wants you and me to give? It's not because he needs our money, right? We've already seen that. It's because God wants to prove something to us. Look down there in verse 10. We're done. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. In other words, he says, test me. Let me prove it to you, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. God says, I want to bless you. As a matter of fact, I want to pour out on you and your family so many, so much blessings that you can't even be able to handle them. Don't believe me? Try me. Put me to the test. Make me prove it by doing what I've told you to do by tithing. God says, just prove me. I don't know if this is sacrilegious or not, but when we were growing up in Tennessee, we would say, put up or shut up. 
right? So there's this guy, his pastor had preached on tithing, and he came to his, his pastor and he says, man, I just don't know if I can do this, pastor. I've lost my job. I got very little money and very little income coming in. And I just, I just don't know if I can afford to tithe. And the pastor looked back at him and said, you can't afford not to. And so the pastor looked at him and he said, all right, John, here's the deal. If you will tithe for a month, I'll cover any shortfall you have. If you'll tithe for one month. If you need to buy gas, don't have money, I'll buy you gas. If you need food and don't have enough money for food, I'll buy your food. Come up short, can't pay your rent or your mortgage, I'll take care of that too. You tie for a month and I will make sure you don't have any financial need. He said, you'd do that for me? He said, I would absolutely do that for you. Great, pastor, I'm going to tie. The pastor said, do you realize what you just said? A mere mortal man with limited resources just told you that if you'd tithe, I'd take care of all your needs, and you said you would do it, and yet the infinite God of the universe who has no limit on his resources has promised to do the same, and you wouldn't trust him. When you boil it all down, Tithing isn't so much of a financial thing as it is a faith thing. And tithing isn't so much God's way of getting something from you as it is his way of giving something to you. God doesn't want your money. If you don't hear anything else, God does not want your money. God doesn't need your money. God wants you. God wants you. And so let me ask you this morning, won't you give God your life? Because if you'll give God your life, you're not going to have any trouble giving him your money. Right? Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. 